So I had to drop her off between 120 and 130. No, no, no. Oh, God, no. What, what was she wearing? I'm innocent. Hi everyone, Randy Page here. Nearly two years have passed since our last episode. That's because we've been waiting for the California Supreme Court to weigh in. Well, four days after Thanksgiving, at the height of the coronavirus pandemic, the Supreme Court has spoken. In this episode, we will go deep into that decision and find out what it means for Kimberly Long. Namely, could she be heading back to prison? Or did the Supreme Court set her free? As you will see, even if the Supreme Court removes her conviction, there is still a chance she could be forced to face another jury. But before we get started, if the details of her case are a bit fuzzy, because it's been a long time since you listened to the first six episodes, this would be a good time for a quick recap. Just go to the 10-minute refresher episode and then come back to episode 7. If you've just finished listening to the first six episodes, well, you're ready to go. And with that, here's episode 7, The Supreme Court. Case number S249274, The People Plaintiff and Appellant versus Kimberly Louise Long. This case is about a terrible and ongoing miscarriage of justice that can end with this court. It was Kimberly Long and her statement that convicted her. Are you going to tell me good news? It's just after sunset in a quiet suburban neighborhood in Eastvale, California, about 50 miles east of Los Angeles. Kimberly Long is less than halfway through her shift, grooming dogs in a small trailer with just about enough room to fit her, her work partner Tanya, and a giant Newfoundland named Maverick. On this warm October evening, Kimberly is still waiting for the California Supreme Court's all-important ruling. And she says the nearly two-year-long wait has been exhausting. I'm tired. I'm tired of being tired. I'm, t I'm tired of waking up and remembering it's not over yet. Ever since Judge Patrick Majors reversed her murder conviction and set her free back in June of 2016, saying this in open court. The court finds it highly unlikely that the petitioner committed the crime. Kimberly says she's wondered every morning as she wakes up if that's the day she will have to go back to prison. And one morning in September, Kimberly got her first glimpse into the answer to that question. The Supreme Court of California hearing oral arguments in San Francisco on Wednesday, September 2nd, 2020 at 9 a.m. 
With the coronavirus raging through California, the Supreme Court held a virtual hearing using Zoom with nine evenly divided squares on the screen, eight filled by Supreme Court justices, and the ninth square alternating between Kimberly's two attorneys, Alyssa Birkel. Her trial was unfair because she had constitutionally inadequate representation. And Michelle Rogers. And it was a miscarriage of justice because petitioner is innocent of this offense. And DA appellate lawyer Alan Tate. She was a liar. And the stakes of this contest are high. If the court rules in her favor, Kimberly's murder conviction will disappear. But if the court rules against her, she could be sent back to prison. So, Ms. Rogers, can I just ask you for a clarification? That's California Supreme Court Chief Justice Tani Contil Sakaowe asking Kimberly's attorneys to back up their contention that Kimberly's original defense attorney was so ineffective she did not get a fair trial. Here's Kimberly's attorney, Michelle Rogers. It was a miscarriage of justice because petitioner was deprived of her constitutional right to effective counsel when he failed to present critical pieces of evidence which would have effectively eliminated her as the potential killer. Kimberly's attorneys say the jury was never shown critical evidence that proves she didn't change her clothes on the night of the murder. Clothes without a trace of blood on them, even though the bloody crime scene had blood spatter 360 degrees around Ozzie Condi's body. And Kimberly's original defense attorney did not bring in any expert witnesses who would have testified Ozzie Condi was murdered long before Kimberly arrived home that night. Here's California Innocence Project attorney Alyssa Birkel arguing before the Supreme Court. The forensic evidence in this case, time of death, uh, blood spatter evidence, was so much more reliable than the circumstantial and inconsistent testimony of witnesses. And had it been presented, it would have painted one picture for the jury and one picture only. Petitioner is not the killer. The lawyer representing the district attorney, Alan Tate, told the court it was possible Kimberly could have bludgeoned Ozzie Condi to death without getting any blood on her. She's swinging a baseball bat or a golf club, and obviously most of that blood is going to be cast off away from the perpetrator. And that expert witnesses testifying about his time of death would not have changed the jury's mind because he said the jury simply didn't believe Kimberly when she testified on the witness stand. It was Kimberly Long and her statements, her illogical statements, her reactions that convicted her. But would the jury have convicted her even if the prosecution admitted during the trial she did not change her clothes and expert witnesses testified Ozzie was murdered long before Kimberly arrived home that night? Well, no. I wouldn't have convicted. There's no way. That's Arnie White, one of the 12 jurors who convicted Kimberly Long. A couple of years ago, when I showed him powerful evidence that Kimberly did not change her clothes that night, clothes that she turned over to police and had no blood on them, Arnie White shook his head and said this. I'm going to say based on the clothing, she couldn't have done it. Now, after hearing the DA's argument in front of the Supreme Court, Arnie White is livid, saying the prosecutor in her murder trial knew full well Kimberly Long was telling the truth from the witness stand when she testified she did not change her clothes. She was telling the truth. He knew that. And his job is to bring about the truth. That's his job. Bring about a conviction based on the truth is his job. And he colored the truth. He withheld the truth from the judge and the jury and the defense so that he could 
create a verdict that went to his narrative. That's misconduct, I think classic. You could put a frame around that and say, if you wanna know what misconduct is, that's it right there. In fact, one of the California Supreme Court justices commented on the issue during the oral arguments when he asked the DA's attorney, Alan Tate, about the ethics of the prosecutor in Kimberly's murder trial, suggesting to the jury that Kimberly changed out of bloody clothes, knowing there was powerful evidence that she did not change her clothes that night. Wouldn't there be some ethical problems about the prosecutor arguing that there's no such evidence, knowing that he knows that there is? The justices had two stark choices, reaffirm her conviction and send her back to prison, or reverse her conviction and set her free. At 10 a.m. November 30th, four days after Thanksgiving, Kimberly Long was at work grooming dogs. All right, see you later, buddy when she got a text message to join her two attorneys on a Zoom call. Hi. That's Kimberly, close to tears, knowing she is about to learn if she's going back to prison or if the Supreme Court removed her conviction once and for all. California Innocence Project attorney Alyssa Birkel was the first to speak. Hey, I'm uh, recording this just because uh, Randy Page has asked me to. And Michelle's joining right now, so. Hang tight a little bit. Look at you, are you at work? Yeah. Then the moment came. Are you gonna tell me good news? And we're telling you great news. <laughs> we won. <laughs> we won, it came out this morning. Okay, good, good, good. This is the best news I've heard. I know. Are you okay? <laughs> yeah, I'm fine. I'm good. This is like the beginning Great of news. the news. It's the best news we could have gotten. I need to call my mom and dad. This is the best Christmas present I could have ever asked for. I know. Right now, we're in the best position we've ever been in. So, you know, let's soak it up and enjoy it. I'm going to enjoy every second of it. I can't wait to call my mom right now. It's an amazing decision. It's a slam dunk. That's California Innocence Project Director Justin Brooks. I caught up with him on a busy street across from the Staples Center in downtown Los Angeles as a city bus pulled up next to us. This decision is unique in that they do a factual assessment of the case. It's not some technicality. It's not some legal issue that now can be cleaned up. It's here's all the facts of the case. We don't believe that adds up to enough to convict her. How many of your cases end up in the California Supreme Court? Oh, <laughs> we've had two cases in the California Supreme Court in the past 20 years. So it's pretty rare that anybody gets a case considered by the California Supreme Court. It's also very rare that you get a unanimous decision from the California Supreme Court. This is, I mean, when I read this decision, I was ecstatic. This is a dream decision, a dream result, and it's the right result. In its written decision, the Supreme Court did not comment on evidence never shown to the jury that convinced two jurors who convicted her she could not have committed the crime. 
evidence that proves the clothes she was wearing when police arrived on the night of the murder were the same clothes she'd been wearing all night long, clothes with no blood on them. Instead, the court based its decision on the fact her original defense attorney, Eric Keene, did not call in expert witnesses who could have testified Ozzie Condi was murdered long before Kimberly arrived home that night. Justice Gordon Liu wrote the unanimous decision, saying, The prosecutor offered no confession, no eyewitnesses, no murder weapon identified or recovered, and no bloody clothes or other physical forensic evidence linking Long to the crime. Justice Liu went on to write, The centerpiece of the prosecution's case was its theory that Long arrived at the murder scene at 1.20 a.m. and called 911 at 2.09 a.m., under that scenario, she would have approximately 50 minutes to arrive, secure a weapon, bludgeon the victim to death, and then clean up the scene as well as herself and dispose of the weapon. Given the totality of the trial evidence, there is a substantial, not just conceivable likelihood that expert testimony that Condi died before 1.20 a.m. would have led to a more favorable result for Long. We conclude it is reasonably probable that the presentation of expert testimony as to Condi's time of death would have led one or more jurors to harbor reasonable doubt about Long's guilt. Counsel's failure to investigate the time of death in a case where the timeline was crucial is an error sufficient to undermine confidence in the outcome. You were sitting on that jury. What is your response? Absolutely true. The Supreme Court is right. That's Arnie White, one of the jurors who voted to convict Kimberly. I feel like the jury, myself, the, the whole jury was manipulated based on information that the defense could have provided and didn't, and that the prosecutor deliberately withheld. And both of those pieces of information were critical to our decision-making process. Me, as the guy that was hung up on the clothing, and no forensic evidence on uh, Kimberly Long, I'm thinking to myself, there's no possible way that you could have been in that room and not had blood on you. And then the timeline, the very critical thing for, even if you discounted the clothing, the timeline robbed the opportunity. It, she wouldn't have had the opportunity to commit the crime because she was someplace else. Do you feel betrayed? I do, absolutely. I feel like they let us down. That we were asked to make a vitally important decision for the justice of uh, Ozzy's family and for Kimberly Long's future. She's accused, after all, of murder. And we were given, I feel, a deliberately misleading case. And so, yeah, I feel betrayed. And I also feel ashamed to have been part of it. I want to give you the opportunity to speak directly to her. I will share with her whatever you would like to say to Kimberly today. I would just like to say that I'm sorry. I sat down with Kimberly Long in her backyard, surrounded by a carpet of leaves in this autumn of her legal nightmare. Does this give you any faith in the criminal justice system at this point in your case? Well, I, I have to say, yeah, I mean, oh, of course. But, but 17 years later? Looking back on the last 17 years, have these experiences helped you grow? I was 27 years old when this all happened. And when I got out, I was 40. 
or, well, well, I'm 45 now. So from 27 to 45, um, there's a lot of growing that you do, but I think it's a choice on, you know, whether you want it to be a positive growth or not. And it's been a roller coaster and ups and downs and mistakes still. But uh, I've come out the person that I was always supposed to be. And I'm so grateful for the support and the people around me, the strong women, my mother, my, my extended family, my girlfriends. Everybody has helped to still raise me, even at 45, holding me accountable. Kimberly's parents, Roger and Darlene, are holding the criminal justice system accountable for the deep wounds that they say never had a chance to heal. It's like being crucified, but you don't die. You just go on every morning and every day, and it goes on for 17 years. And it just seems like there's never an end. We think when there's an ending, then there's something else you're waiting for. And then it's another month, another six months. Well, I was in, in my 50s when uh, th this first happened. Now I'm in my 70s. and. Uh, I used to get up and go to work. Work was very hard while you're thinking about your daughter being in jail, then in prison. And uh, it's been very hard. And for the Long family, it may not be over. The Supreme Court has thrown out Kimberly Long's murder conviction, but Riverside County District Attorney Mike Hestron has the option to try her all over again. And the DA's only response to our request for an interview is a short written statement which says, we are reviewing the decision by the California Supreme Court and we will be evaluating the case again in light of this new ruling before making a decision regarding any retrial. Innocence Project Director, Justin Brooks. I would be greatly surprised if the district attorney went back after her for this, it, having the Supreme Court unanimously 7-0 say, this is a weak case to start with, and it's a lot weaker now with what we know. So I can't think of a more clear message to the district attorney's office not to retry a case when seven justices have told you, this woman shouldn't have been convicted on the evidence you had. There's new evidence that casts more doubt on the case. And, you know, as is usual, cases don't get better with time. They're not like wine. They don't get better as the years go on, they get worse. So you have a deteriorated case based on time going by. We have new evidence of her innocence. And to start with, they didn't have a good case. Juror Arnie White. You sat in the jury box. You know the evidence. What would you tell the DA today? Don't do it. You know for a fact she didn't do it. So the only reason you'd refile is to notch your gun belt? Because you know now that she, she didn't do it. You know based on the clothing, and you know based on the time of death, she couldn't have done it. She didn't have the opportunity to commit this crime. And I, I would hope that the DA reflects on that just as a matter of uh, conscience, and, and if not as conscience, then professional ethics, let it go, because you don't have the right person and you know that. So perhaps there were other opportunities that weren't pursued in the investigation that maybe now, if you really want to take this case on, take a look at some of those open questions in the investigation. 
Kimberly Long spends her days and nights grooming dogs. And dreams about what true freedom could mean. I'd like to live in a van and I would like to travel with my son and I don't know when I'm going to be back. One of the things that has marked your life since you've been out is the incredible drive to experience freedom. Mm -hmm. Whether it's Joshua Tree where you would hike, whether it's the motorcycle where you would ride, mm -hmm. or whether the van trip you want to take with your son. Oh yeah. Do you think that those years of incarceration impacted you to this day? Definitely, definitely. I was, before I went to prison, I was just barely getting through life is what was happening, I think. And once I went to prison, you have, you, you stop. Time stops and that's it. All you have is a tiny little cell. And the only way to get away for me was to read all the magazine and books I could muster up. And that's where I saw all these places I've never been and heard about all these things I've never done. And I made a bucket list is what I did. And when I finally was able to come home, I made sure never to take life for granted. I live each day, pretty much each day, as if it was my last. And at the top of this former nurse's bucket list, in the middle of the COVID pandemic, a return to the emergency room. I'd give anything to be back there. Why? That's where I belong. I belong taking care of people. That's, that's what I was supposed to do my entire life. Now that the California Supreme Court has spoken, Kimberly Long's future depends on Riverside County District Attorney Mike Hestron. As he weighs the decision whether or not to charge Kimberly with murder, select another jury and try her again. That decision could be just weeks away. Look for the final chapter in the Kimberly Long story coming soon. Flawed Justice is produced by Randy Page and edited by Joel Fallon. Original theme and music composed and performed by Randy Page. If you haven't done so already, be sure and subscribe to this podcast. When we release the final episode, you will be the first to know. And if you liked what you heard, spread the word and share the link to listen. Now, this is important. Our website is flawedjustice.com, where you can not only listen to all the episodes, but you can also see the evidence for yourself. Watch the raw interviews, the police interrogations, look at crime scene photos, and you can see what the people involved look like. And if you have any information on the case, you can contact us through the website. Again, that's flawedjustice.com.
Special thanks to the folks at CBS in Los Angeles, including managing editor Paul Button and director of digital content, B.J. Dahl. Flawed Justice is a production of CBS Los Angeles and KCBS-TV. Thanks for listening.